0: Hi, friends. Um, it's great to great to see everyone. I think I know a, a lot of folks here, and some of you don't know me. I, my name's Greg. I'm a, I'm a, one of the leaders at Sanctuary, and it's so good to be here uh, with you guys this morning. It is just awesome to be in this space. Um, so, some of you may know um, my my wife is Sarah, who's uh, uh, was on staff here, and we're still part of the Sanctuary family, and so bring greetings from Sanctuary North uh, in our new building. Pray for us. It's it's fun, but it's not quite as glorious as this, so I always like being here. Anyway, well, hey, um, I I wondered if any of you have been reading about this thing. Uh, it's called the Great Resignation. So we've had uh, so many greats. We had a great uh recession and then we've had a great pandemic and now we have this thing called the great resignation has anyone heard of that at all it's kind of um it's kind of been happening uh all throughout covid um, if you don't know this a lot of people lost their jobs uh, during the pandemic um, by some estimates 15 percent of Americans lost their jobs and um So we all kind of assumed that when the pandemic ended, all these folks would start trickling back to work. But as it turns out, uh, it hasn't happened. And so if you walk around, um, the other night I was taking uh, my friend through a McDonald's drive-thru, which I would never, you know, ever go to McDonald's. Uh, It was just for my friend. Uh, So I didn't get... Uh, well, Jocelyn was in the car with me, too, so I, I did get something. It's my guilty pleasure. But, uh, you know, there's help wanted signs at every restaurant. Um, somebody told me, does anyone go to RISD here? Um, they shut down the one of the RISD dining halls because 20 people um, uh, didn't come back to work um, and didn't want to work. And so these pe- folks are not coming back to their jobs and people are quitting. So in April, we set the record of one month the number of people that quit their jobs. And guess how long that record lasted? All the way until July when even more people quit and then in August we set a new record of people quit quitting. So the Great Resignation, it's happening and it's just getting greater every month and so what does it mean like there's a lot of articles that have been written about the great resignation like people are hand-wringing like oh my gosh what does it mean economists want to know what does it mean Um, I don't know what it means but I do have actually I do think there's something that feels really obvious about it and that is this that the great resignation is just one of the latest indicators that in this country our relationship with work is broken. That it's a messed up, screwed up relationship with work. Amen? Anyway, am I I, I, I making sense to anyone? And I feel like it's a little like this. It's like, you know that toxic relationship that you can have with, you know, a boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, and it's just really bad for you. And then all of a sudden, like, so I do college ministry and basically... Every Thanksgiving, after students come back from Thanksgiving break, I have the same talk with like 30 people, and it's basically this, I think I need to break up with my boyfriend. And I'm like, all right, it must be the week after Thanksgiving, because you got that space from this relationship, and now you know you it's not good for you. And so I think in many ways, that's what's happening with our relationship with work, and we're quitting, people are quitting because they're exhausted, because they're burnt out, they're wiped out. How many of you guys here, just be honest, like how many of you guys have felt exhausted or tired or burnt out, right? Uh, Maybe it's that you're not sleeping well. I mean, that's been me. Um, Maybe it's just life in a pandemic. Uh, But I also think there's a way that our work, and when I say work, by the way, I don't just mean like The work you get paid for. Going to school is work. Right, friends? So the work we do has wiped us out. And we desperately need a new relationship with work. So where do we go to get it? Well, I want to talk about actually the ancient way of Jesus, the way, the path of Jesus that invites us into a new kind of relationship, actually an ancient kind of relationship with work because this problem of work being not having not having a healthy relationship with it is not new. In fact, when Jesus was ministering in Israel, one of the things he noticed was that the people of Israel were um, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And if any of you know sheep without a shepherd can't rest. They, they actually need that comfort and that presence of the shepherd in order to help them lie down. That's why in Psalm 23, David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And so um, that's what I want to talk about. Uh, we're in a series that is talking about different um, paths that Jesus is calling us to walk in. And so today, I want to share about the path of calling. Amen? Does that sound good? Everybody awake? Turn to, turn to your neighbor and say, you ready to hear about the path of calling? All right, so here we go. I just want to read this passage again. This is so good. Some passages are, are red-lettered in the Bible. If you have the eco-Bible, they're in green letters. Uh, but this one I feel like really should be written in gold. Uh, this, is like, this is my favorite passage of Scripture of all time. Actually, in seminary, I wrote an exegesis paper on it. You don't want to read it because it's super boring, but it's so good. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All right, so I wanna talk about a couple things this morning. First, uh, really, I wanna talk about the way of calling, the path of calling, and there are three callings. There's three ways that God calls us, and they fit together, and I wanna talk about that. And then I wanna talk about as we walk and as we rightly order our lives around the calling of God, it brings rest to our souls. So um, here's a diagram that I created. I am a science nerd, so if you are too, we can talk after this. But uh, this is actually a stylized version of the solar system. On the left, you can see is the sun. In the middle is the earth. Look, notice the shading. It's properly shaded, right? Illuminated by the sun on one side. Uh, And then finally, the moon. Now, if this were drawn to scale, though, The sun would be huge, right? Because have you ever seen actually the relationship between the planets and the sun? Planets are like little tiny things, the sun ginormous. By the way, if you ever go to Falmouth, Massachusetts, uh, which is where uh, we go sometimes in the summer, uh, they have a bike path there that's 10 miles long. And there's all these science nerds at um, uh, the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute that decided to make an actual scale model of the solar system. And so you really get a sense for how tiny the planets are, how big the space is. So this is not a scale model, okay? So nobody accused me of it, but there's a proper order, right? The the way, the only thing that can actually inhabit the center of the solar system is the sun. You try to put the moon at the middle of the solar system, how's that gonna go? Is that going to go well? No, it's going to, everything's going to fly apart, fly off into space. And so our first calling, our son, the center, the big calling is to Jesus himself. Jesus says in the scripture, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Right? It's interesting, he doesn't say, you just need a new job. No, he says, come to me, the person. And so at, at the heart of all this is that we as human beings were created, first and foremost, for a relationship with the God who made us. That is the only thing that is massive enough to occupy the center of meaning in our lives, is that God made us for relationship with him. This is the call to salvation. This is the call to our identity as God's child. This is the call to be part of the family of God. So in his book, Courage and Calling, Gordon Smith calls this the general calling because it's a general calling that's made by God to every single human being that's ever lived come into a relationship with me, and this is the first calling because it's the most important calling we have. I don't know if any of you have ever walked with someone in the latter stages of their life, walked with someone uh, as they prepared to die, um, but it is a—it's it, it, something. Unfortunately, I've had to do twice uh, in the last two years. So uh, a few months ago, my wife's mom passed away uh, to be with the Lord. And then a couple, um, a couple months earlier, my mom died. And so, um, there's something about death that puts things in their proper perspective. And here's, here's an insight I can offer you if you haven't walked with someone on this journey. When someone is on their deathbed, they're not asking questions like, what was my salary? They're not asking questions like, what was my job title? They're not asking questions like, how did I do on my last annual review? They're not asking questions like, what grade did I get in this class? They're not asking any of those questions because they're not actually important. What is important on your deathbed? How's my relationship with my creator? How are my relationships with the people that are most important to me? Is there unfinished business I need to attend to before I die, right? And so there's something about remembering that that's really important for us. It's really important. You know, I don't think it's actually helpful to, how many of you remember as a child being asked this question by adults? Um, I was thinking about this. What are you going to be when you grow up? Did anyone ever ask you that? Hey, what are you going to be when you grow up? What's that? Your mother and father asked you that. And Lord bless your mother and father. But you know what? I'm just going to be straight. That is not a helpful question to ask children. You know why? Because it communicates to them that actually uh, there's somebody other than they are already have been created to be by God that they need to become later in life. Does that make sense? Actually, what's true is the most important thing about a child is the same thing, the most important thing about someone on their deathbed. What is it? That you are created by God, loved by God, made in his image, that he loves you so much that he died on the cross for you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. Would you like a relationship with that God, right? That's the most important thing. And we communicate with our kids, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? As, as if, like, somehow you aren't anything until you get this job or this career, right? And by the way, people can have many jobs in their lives, right? Are we created to just do one job? I don't think so, right? People switch jobs all the time. But who we are is most important. So I think it would be helpful to ask kids, I've just proposed this to us. Let's ask kids, hey, what would you like to do when you grow up? And what kind of person would you like to become? And by the way, do you know who you already are? So just a little pet peeve of mine. Um, But I think actually one of the, this connected to one of the reasons our culture is so exhausted, so burnt out. And that is that we look to work the moon in the solar system, to do for us things that only God can actually do, to give us identity, value, meaning, purpose. Only God can do those things. I read this article in the Atlantic Monthly that I found was profound, and here's the title. It's, the title of it was, um, wait, where is the title? Is it up there? Oh yeah, it was about workism. I, I lost the title. But anyway, I think it's like workism is is leaving us empty and exhausted. But anyway, they describe this belief called workism. And I th- I found it profound. It's the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but it is the centerpiece of one's identity and purpose. Workism, work is at the center of identity and purpose. And that belief is flying around in our culture. Oh, yeah. The title of the article, Workism is Making Americans Miserable. So this, again, from the Atlantic Monthly. And here's what they said about it. Um, They said, for the college-educated elite, work has morphed into a religious identity, promising transcendence and community, but failing to deliver. They say, the decline of traditional faith in America has coincided with an explosion of new atheisms. Some people worship beauty. Some worship political identities. Others worship their children. But everybody worships something. And workism is among the most potent of the new religions competing for congregants. So, this is the Atlantic Monthly, and, but there's a word for a belief that something other than God is worth worshiping and promises us uh, transcendence, identity, meaning, and purpose. Does anyone know the, the the biblical word for this? Yeah, it's called idolatry. So, and and it really is. So the ancient cultures had one kind of idol. They had they worshipped the Baals, the Asherahs, the Molochs. They would sacrifice their children to Moloch. Um, But it doesn't mean that idols are gone or just confined to the ancient Near East. There's idols all around us. And in our country, work is an idol. Career is an idol. And ultimately, what every idol does is it promises us life. But over time, the promise, we begin to experience an empty promise that brings diminishing returns. How many of you are like me in your 40s at this point anyone in their 40s anyone have this idea that if you just got that job or this career somehow it would fulfill your life how did that how's that going for us right there's a word for what happens when people become disillusioned about that and it's usually called something like a midlife crisis right and one of the reasons it hits so hard in America is because our beliefs in our work have Fallen short. So it's idolatry. And by the way, every idol asks for sacrifice. So in this country, work asks for sacrifice. It asks us to be readily attentive every time that phone dings, right? It, It asks us to work all the time. Ultimately, idols ask us to sacrifice our children. Think about that for a minute. And they leave us exhausted. And so one of the ways for us to recover the path of calling is to actually identify those places where we have put our work in the place that only God can go. Second calling I want to talk about is vocation. So if we can go back to that cool slide. Vocation, um, in, in the scripture, Jesus says Take my yoke upon you. Now, the yoke, as, as Jesus' hearers would know, was an agricultural implement, right? They didn't have John Deere tractors, so how would they plow their fields? They would put a yoke, which was a bar, a wooden bar, across the backs of two oxen. And um, Jesus says later in the passage, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that word easy in the Greek actually refers to Another way to translate it is well-fitting, right? And so the yoke was designed to fit the contours of the ox, right? It was designed to fit that ox. And it wasn't the work that the ox did, but it was that thing that attached to them, that was shaped like them, that enabled them to do the work. And so for us, this is our vocation. This is our second-level calling. There is a purpose that God has created you for. There is a reason God made you just the way you are. First of all, it's to love you and be in relationship with you, to be his son, his daughter. But then there's a question, what did God put his son or his daughter on earth to do? Right? And there's actually a purpose for our lives that God has designed. You are a gift to the world. So in Ephesians 4, Paul says, um, God created some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, um, to build up the body of Christ. Now, he doesn't say, God gave you the gift of apostle, or God gave you the gift of prophet. He said, God gave you to be this for the body of Christ. So, my wife, God uh, gave my wife to the church in order to help equip the church to do its apostolic mission, right? God has made you to be a gift. Elsewhere in, in Ephesians, uh, Paul says, We are his workmanship. We are his poema. The word poema is where we get the word poem. You are a poem, you're a masterpiece a magnum opus that God has designed. Your heart, your passions, your intelligence, your your gifts and talents, the position God has placed you in the world is intended to be a gift. Now, the question of vocation is, what kind of gift are you? Right? Sometimes you get to Christmas morning and you have a gift and it's a big flat gift and you're like, I think this is gonna be a new vinyl LP for my record collection and you open it up and yes it is and sometimes if you're a kid it's a box of Legos and the question is what kind of gift has God made you to be for the world? Why did God create Chris Cordon? Why did God create you? Sometimes um, our calling, our vocation, aligns with our day job. Okay, we have a day job, and we have a vocation. Our vocation is larger than our day job. So for Pastor Andrew Book, his calling and his day job line up quite well. For other people, they don't always. They don't always line up perfectly. Um, And maybe sometimes, for some people, their day job is a way to support their vocation. Right? Their nine-to-five work is actually a way for them Um, to support their family, to provide a a standard of life so that they can live out a larger calling. So think of uh, Saul of Tarsus, for example, right? Remember him from the Bible? He was a tent maker. That was his nine to five. That was his job. But was that his calling? Not really. Saul of Tarsus was called to become Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. Martin Luther King was a pastor, right? But was that, his, was that his full vocation? Yes, but also there was a larger job as a prophetic leader for our country that God called Martin Luther King to do. So for us, the question is, have we figured out our vocation? Have we figured out what it is, why God has called us? So in our, usually, uh, this is something we discover over time. So think about Jesus for a minute. Jesus spent the first 30 years of his life doing what? He was a carpenter. Was that Jesus' calling? Was it his vocation? Yeah, he was call, he, that was his work, but was it his vocation? He spent the first 30 years of his, of his life discovering what God had called him to do with his vocation, and then the last three years of his life doing it. And so I discovered in my like I spent 12 years doing college ministry and around age 35 I began to discover I think God is giving me a vocation around revival. I think God is calling me to prepare the church for revival. And it fits into some of the things I do and some of the other things I don't, and I have to make space for it. Around late 30s, God started to give my wife a sense of her vocation. It's actually what led her ultimately to leave, uh, unfortunately for sanctuary, the the role of pastor and to start her own business because God was giving her a vocation, and this was the best way for, for her to live it out. And so I think with vocation... Couple questions for you guys: um, Are you seeking to figure out what your vocation is? What are your gifts? What are your talents? Is that? Are these questions you've been asking? If not, what I really want to encourage you guys to do is go to the Calling Lab. So sometime this fall, Sanctuary is going to have a Calling Lab, and I think it's one of the very best things we can do. Um, the second thing we need to do with calling is we have to make room for it in our lives. Okay? We have to make room for it. Sometimes our work is like the tail of, of the dog, and it tries to wag the dog of our lives, right? And it squeezes out all the space that we have for our vocation. So, like, my, um, my friend Michael uh, is a great guy. He's a very... Uh, he's, he's, he's a... He, well... He's a super romantic guy, so I'll tell you why. Um, His wife, Jenna, is an artist. And I didn't know this when I first met Jenna. I didn't know she was an artist. I I knew she went to school for that. But ever since I've known Jenna, um, she's been working at Hasbro. And then she has three small, rambunctious children. And her life is very busy and very full. And I've never seen Jenna make any art, ever. But what I realized is that for 10 years, Jenna has laid some of, some of her art aside in order to do, you know, life, right? And so Michael, and, and part of the problem was that Jenna didn't have any space in her life to do art. And so here's what Michael's thought is. On, her, on their 10th anniversary, Michael gave her a gift and he said, I'm going to clear out our garage and I'm going to turn it into an art studio for you. And um, and to give you space and to honor that larger vocation that God's given you. Because there's something about Jenna that comes alive when she's doing that thing she was created to do. And that's the same for all of us. There's something in us that comes alive when we're living out our vocation. And we have to make room for it. So think about for a second, like, Mary, the mother of Jesus, mary had a vocation her vocation was to bring jesus into the world and raise him up and give him to the world and in many ways mary's an archetype for vocation because that for all of our callings really what god's inviting us to do is the same thing mary did jesus comes to inhabit the world and to bless the world through our lives and so Mary, the angel Gabriel, comes to her, and he says, hey, Mary, I got this idea. How would you like to have a baby? How would you like to have that baby out of wedlock? How would you like that baby to be the world's you know, future savior and die on a cross? And Mary's like, I don't know. This is crazy. So, but what Mary did is what we all have to do. She said yes. And so some of you guys... Know what God's vocation on your life is. And you have to say yes. He's not going to force it on any of us. But he's inviting you. Will you do this work with me? And we have to say, yes, Lord. And Mary says, I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you said. And then Mary had to make room. She literally had to make room in her life for this vocation. It was disruptive. It was scary. Sometimes when God puts a vocation on our lives, it actually disturbs the rest of it. Sometimes it means, actually, we need to leave this job. This job is not allowing me to do the thing that God put me on earth to do. And so that's time to ask questions. My boss wants me to work all the time. I'm taking 12 classes this semester. I don't even know if that's possible, right? And so then to make room for our vocation, we have to say, actually, I need to have a heart-to-heart with my boss. I need to do less stuff. Finally, our third calling is to work. Now, our work, another way to talk about work is just what are the duties and obligations that God has put before me today, okay? So some of these are our paid job. Some of these are not a paid job, right? Um, If you go to school, you have work to do and they're not paying you. You're paying them to do work for them. I don't know how they get away with that. Raising children is work. By the way, raising children is also a calling. So it's a vocation for us. And I think it's a vocation that we've undermined, that we've sacrificed on the idol of our work. But Preparing the next generation to follow Jesus is the most important thing we can do. Um, doing laundry is work. Uh, it's work I don't do because I purposely mess it up so that my wife won't let me do it. Um, Organized secret. Guys, listen. Uh, but same, it's, it works in reverse for cooking. She screws that up, so then I have to cook. So taking kids to sporting events, um, studying in the library driving across town, Ubering across town. These are all work. Um, in the scripture, Jesus talks about a burden. My burden is light. And the burden is literally the plow that the ox would pull behind it, right? And the, if any of you are engineers, this is the like dictionary definition of work. It's not like The act of, like, exerting work to get that plow to move through the dirt, right? I don't know the proper formula for it, but that's the work. And our work, our duties and obligations are important to God. In Colossians, Paul says uh, he gives instructions to slaves and masters. And that's not a great, you know, we don't like that passage. But there is a way that it actually does connect to our modern employer-employee relationship right? Not in every way, but in many ways it does. And he says um, to employees, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord. God sees and honors our work, but it doesn't define our identity. And so over the span of our lives, our job is to bring these three callings into alignment, right? We're looking for congruity, how do these pieces fit together in our lives, right? Um, we need to discover how to live out our vocation and identity in our work. So some of you guys, maybe you got a raise recently. Maybe you're killing it in your job. And God's giving you a ton of extra money. Maybe the question to ask is, Lord, how am I called, I, how am I called to be a blessing and a gift to the church and the human family with what you've given me, right? Um, what is your larger vocation? Some of you guys, your job takes up every spare ounce of your life, and there's no room. There's no room for God, right? So, for some of you, you wake up in the morning, your to-do list is so long that there's no space for God at all. You know what I think that is? That's lame. <laughs> because who's supposed to be at the center of our universe? It's God. How lame is that that this moon is taking the center of the it's not supposed to work that way. And so then the question is we need to find less stuff to do so that we can be in relationship, in meaningful relationship with God. Our work needs to orbit our calling. And our calling orbits God. Finally, I just want to say this about um, about our work. Is that Jesus says, my burden is light, right? My burden is light. Now, does that mean every burden is light? No. In fact, there are 6,000 things I could think of that I would, you know, if you wanted to do them for me, I would let you, right? Would you like to come mow my lawn? you know, clean my house, right? There are so many things that other people would like for us to do. And if we say yes to them all, what will happen to us? We'll be exhausted, wiped out, burnt out. And so one of the most important ways we submit to God is by learning to say no. We learned it when we were two for a reason, because it's a very important word. It has two letters in it. But it's one of the most important words we can say because unless we can say no to some things, we can't actually say yes to the things God's calling us to. So just a proposal. What if instead of starting your day with all the things on your to-do list, you just brought that list to Jesus and said, Lord, of all these things, what would you like me to do first? What would you like me to do second? What would you like me to do? what would you like me to not worry about today? Because you know what? The Lord says, my burden is light. He will never ask you to do more than one thing at a time. And he will never ask you to do it by yourself. And so one of the deeper reasons as we wrap up here today, and we're just going to create a space for us to respond, but guys, at the heart of all this, our work was intended to be done with God. Work is not a bad thing. Like, God gave Adam and Eve work to do in the garden. He said, name the animals, you know, and other, th- I don't know, prune that rose or whatever. But what made it life-giving is that it was connected to God. And when we rejected god's leadership in our life and even god's leadership over our to-do list when adam and eve decided they wanted to be in charge of their work and their calling the curse came and one of the central parts of the curse is that work became toil toil is work without god work with god restful life-giving Work without God is toil. And so I have good news for us. Like, we as a culture toil all the time. That's why we're exhausted. That's why there's the great resignation. That's why so many of you guys raised your hands when I asked, are you burnt out? Are you wiped out? Because we toil. It's the default mode of human work. But Jesus came to redeem us. And I want you to think for a second about what Jesus did on the cross. We don't always talk about it this way, but it's so amazing that what Jesus actually did on the cross was labor. It was labor just to breathe. If you've read about the science of crucifixion, Jesus struggled for hours just to stay alive. And he did it apart from the presence of God. He said, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus toiled on the cross. That's what he did for us. He toiled on the cross, and he entered into our broken relationship with work so that we wouldn't have to toil anymore. And so even if your culture is telling you you need to be exhausted, or other people are putting expectations on you, Jesus says, no, I came to set you free. As we were praying, this morning at the other service, I saw an image of a hamster wheel in my mind. In my, it's like a giant hamster wheel for humans. And my sense is that some of us are on a hamster wheel right now. Now, you know about a hamster wheel. There's I don't know of a hamster wheel that, like, you know, the hamster can't get out of. But some of us are running on a wheel, and we don't know that Jesus says, I want to let you off today. It's okay for you to exercise on that thing, but you do not need to stay on that wheel. I've come to set you free. So a couple invitations. You know, some of us have been looking to our work to occupy the center of our universe to tell us who we are. And this morning, I just want to invite you, if that's you, I just want you to renounce it. Renounce it as a lie. And remember the truth that you are made for a relationship with God. Some of us have been, um, some of us have been squeezing out our our larger vocation. We haven't even thought about it. We haven't discovered it. We haven't made room for it because our work is taking up every ounce of space in our lives. And this morning, I just want to say you're free to do what God made you to do. You do not need to be a slave. <laughs> for some of us, we don't know what our vocation is. We've ne- maybe we've never asked. Maybe we're we're younger and we're not there yet. But I want to I invite you in this space. Ask the Lord. Lord, is there something you want to say to me about who you've made me and why you've put me on earth? I don't want to get to the end of my life and not know what I was here for. Finally, some of us are just exhausted because we've been doing life apart from God. And I, and Jesus just wants to invite you. It's very simple, the invitation. He just says, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. And that may be even for some of you have never had a relationship with Jesus before. And if that's you, the first step in finding deep, true soul rest is to come to Jesus his arms are extended on the cross he opened his arms to have a relationship with every human being and you can come into his arms this morning so let's just pray we welcome you Lord touch our hearts and our lives God we invite you to reorient us around you God, we invite you to set us free. We ask that you would speak to us. Right now, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would be, you, that our ears would be open, that we could hear the things that you're saying to us to bring us life.